have to know from the very beginning, we have to understand that we are a work in progress. We are not a completed work. And if you think for a moment you're a completed work, to bring it into reality, just ask the person beside you if they think you're a completed work. <laughs> if you're married, ask your spouse, do they think you're a complete? Well, they might say, well, sure, honey, you sure are a completed work. You're perfect in all your ways. Well, so ask somebody that will tell you the whole truth and nothing but the truth. But we are a work in progress, amen? So, but change is happening in us. There's a work that is going on in those of us that will submit ourselves under the hand of God and allow the anointing of Jesus Christ to really do a work in us that he wants to do. There is a work that is ongoing. I've said this, I think, last week, maybe the week before, but I want to remind us, any day that we live without conviction is a day that we are living without Holy Spirit. Anyone that is, in fact, conviction will come to some this morning while I'm preaching, to others while you're having dinner, to others while you're sitting with your children or sitting with your spouse or sitting with a friend or whatever. But any day that we rise up in the morning and we go to bed at night and we were not convicted of something, it's on that day that we were absent Holy Spirit. At least our willingness to listen to Holy Spirit because he's present. When we receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in us, not Christ. Christ does not live in your heart. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. You receive the anointing of Christ. You receive the gift of Christ. You receive the possibility of Christ. You receive the possibility to become a son as Christ, to become a joint heir of Christ. But it's Holy Spirit that dwells in you. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding that you will listen to the Holy Spirit that he sent to indwell you. So if we can get a hold of that, we can understand that any day that I live without conviction is a day that I have not listened to Holy Spirit. Because every single day, Vanessa, he wants to work in us. He's molding our clay. He's fixing our cracks. He's patching up our holes. Every single day. He's at work in you and he's at work in me. And some of us are in different places. But here's the crazy thing. If we're kingdom people and not just religious people, but if we're kingdom people seeking the very best and not religious people seeking the law, if we're kingdom people, it doesn't matter what condition that we are in. It doesn't matter how much needs to be fixed. All that matters is, are we allowing him to fix it? Are we giving him the opportunity? And it also this, it really says something about you and me when we can look across the room and not say, wow, that's a full-time job for the Holy Ghost. <laughs> While we look in the mirror about ourselves and think, well, he got it easy with me. <laughs> right, right. So we have to understand that in each of our lives, Holy Spirit is at work in all of us, and it doesn't matter to what extent the work needs to be done, how much work needs to be done. What matters is that there's a work that needs to be done. And really, the work he's doing in me should have no effect on you outside of once the change comes, 
I become a blessing to you. Gives me the opportunity to be a benefit to you and likewise you to me. Does that make sense? So he's doing a work, and I want to talk about that. So again, any day without conviction is a day that we're not listening to Holy Spirit because every single day, every single day, Shonda, Holy Spirit at some point during the day is bringing to our attention, hey, uh, this doesn't really honor God. This doesn't really honor the Lord. This part of you is not honoring, and we know what conviction feels like, Cheryl. We know what it feels like, don't we, Brian? We know what conviction feels like. It's when you've done it, you've done something, and something inside of you, you might not hear an audible voice saying, stop, (laughs) turn around. But you know in you, because the Spirit of God is in you, you know that inside of you, there is the presence of Holy Spirit that's saying to you, this is not the way, don't walk in it. And there's conviction that comes. And then we respond, hopefully we respond correctly to that. I want to talk about this a little bit today. I want to talk about being in the trenches today. What does it mean to be in the trenches? So when we are walking with a king and we're walking with Christ and we're on this journey with him and he's calling in the disciples, he called in the 12, then he called in the 120, then he called in the thousands, then he's called in the millions until it gets to you and me. And he's called us in and he said to us, follow me. It didn't matter what condition you were in. All of us came to Christ in a very different place. Some of us were absolutely horrible people. Some of us weren't horrible in the sense of the things that we've done, but we were horrible in in the sense that we were just outside of Christ. It just wasn't the place we were built for. We weren't created for that. He did not manufacture us to walk outside of him. Amen. He wants us to be a car he can ride in. And he's trying to create that so it's a perfect vehicle. He's pimping us out. <laughs> he's fixing us. Okay. I probably should have named the message that, pimped out. So he is fixing us up exactly the way he wants it. So walking with a king isn't always clean and pretty. It's not always clean and pretty. In fact, sometimes it's, it's, it's really, it requires uh, the father to have a lot of patience and fortitude with what? With our issues and our attitudes because we come with those. We come with it. Look at your neighbor and say, you have issues and you have an attitude. And you do. And that is true about every single person breathing air. We have issues and we have attitudes. We have issues and we have attitudes. I I tell you, I had issues yesterday. I'm going to tell you real quick about my issues yesterday. So yesterday I was outside in the yard working and I was doing some things and I was cutting down some trees and I have a chainsaw that's not big enough for all the trees that I've got. It's a 16 or 18 inch and the tree's bigger. But it took me a while to get this tree down. I finally was able to drop the tree. Then I'm cutting down the tree. And while I'm cutting down, the, it's a dead tree. And so while I'm cutting off of the, the limbs and the branches and what have you, I have a burn pile in my backyard. I always burn there. I've burned there for 13 years. And there's nothing living around that spot. Everything's been burned. It's ash. And, and so I take the things as I'm cutting them and I carry them over and got all my steps and walking around my yard yesterday. I, I literally walked six miles in my yard yesterday and literally. And so I'm carrying all this stuff and I'm putting it in, in the pile and then I'm, I lit the match. I get, or I, I don't use a match. I use actually a propane torch and I go out there to get my fire started because matches burn out too good. I take a propane torch and just till it lights up and then it's good. And so I got the fire started and everything was great. And 
And I'm piling up and I'm cutting down branch, cutting off little branches and bigger branches and then bigger branches and I keep piling it up. And the fire was never huge. It was just, it wasn't huge. I don't let it get huge, but it was a fire and it had gotten to be what it was. Well, I had taken some uh, medication for something that had made me, makes me a little dizzy. I'm not taking it anymore, but I was taking it. And it makes me dizzy whenever I bend down and I stand up and I get hot, get sweaty, get a little dizzy. So I'm standing by the fire. At one point, I had taken everything over and uh, taken the branches over and I'm piling it up and I'm already feeling dizzy, but I'm standing close to the fire and I'm feeling very dizzy and I'm feeling like, man, I almost feel like I'm blacking out. It was a sense of I was about to faint. I wasn't, I don't think, but I felt that way. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to first, I'm going to step away from the fire so that just in the event that I do, <laughs> I land on grass and so I first stepped away from the fire, and I didn't feel any better, so I thought, ah, maybe I'm really thirsty. So I go in the house and get something to drink, and then I get me something to eat, and I eat it, eat what I ate, and then I drank a lot of water, and I didn't still feel great, but I, I, it was quick. It was less than 10 minutes, and I go back outside. Well, first, I'm sitting at the table, and I'm eating what I'm eating, and I'm drinking the water, and I look up, and I see smoke. It looks like it was just a lot of smoke, and I just, it just seemed like it didn't match the fire that I left, and uh, so I'm seeing all of the smoke, so I go outside, and I thought, oh, well, you know, some of that wood is wet, so, you know, wet wood really does smoke, so I step outside, and when I step outside of my garage, and I look back to where the fire pile is, I have a fire, I mean a major fire, I've got flames just billowing, <laughs> My fence is on fire. I've got my yard is on fire. My neighbor's yard is on fire. This thing has spread out, and I am thinking, I told my wife, I said, I, I, I thought I, I need to call 911. There's no way I'm getting these flames out. I'm dizzy. <laughs> Help! Somebody! <laughs> and I'm running out, and so I run back there. I've got my dogs. The closest thing to me was a shovel. And uh, I have work boots on, and I'm telling you that for a reason. So the closest thing I have is a shovel. I grab the shovel, and I'm shoveling dirt, sand from anywhere, just throwing it on this fire, and it's, it's, it's just billowing. And I'm throwing it. It's spread out so far. I just, I am convinced, nearly convinced, this is not going to end well. And I just need to call 911 and say, sorry. <laughs> Can you fix this? Broke something. Can you fix it? And I'm piling this dirt up, piling it up. And, I, and, and the portion, you know, where I'm getting the dirt, it's doing better. But it's, I'm not keeping up with it. It's spreading. It just keeps moving because everything's dry. It's dry. I probably shouldn't say this on the live stream. Can I go to jail for this? And so I just did the only thing I knew to do because I could stomp on it faster than I could. So I just jump in it, and I'm just, I'm just stomping. I got fire. My boots, my soles and my boots are melting, and I'm stomping, I'm stomping everywhere I can on this fire, kicking dirt, doing all this, and just doing everything I can, and I finally get in my yard under control, but not my neighbor's. <laughs> so I got, my yard was fine. I got my yard okay, and then I climbed the fence that was a moment before on fire, and I'd thrown sand on it. I climb over the fence. Well, when I climb over the fence and I grab one of the boards, the fire on the backside, I had a hole in my gloves. I grabbed the board, and it burns my finger. So I got me a nice little burn blister on my finger. And I'm thinking, this is just not going well. And I get over the fence, and I got my shovel. Anyway, long story short, I won. 
And, uh, but it didn't look like I was going to, and it was just dirty, and it, was, it wasn't clean, and it wasn't easy, and it was all of these things, and I'm out there in this, and, and it felt like, man, if I, if I could just, uh, if someone was in my, uh, the range of my voice, I could call out, and one other person, I could have conquered that thing without any problems, but in the meantime, you know, there was a slight panic that set in because I literally thought, I'm about to burn my neighbor's house down, and he's probably not going to forgive me for that, and... <laughs> It was not good. But sometimes things just aren't dirty and, and it gets that way. And sometimes you got to get in there and you burn your feet and you get a blister on your hand and you, you get dizzy a little bit and you get frustrated and maybe even a little bit of panic. And, but I can tell you there are, what the Father wants to do in you and me in these seasons and these moments because we have them. Every single one of us in this room right now, there are fires in our lives he's trying to put out. There are things in us, there are flames that are raging. Now, in my mind, I thought, I need to call 911. He wouldn't call 911 because he, he is 911. But, but nevertheless, there are fires in our lives. And, and what I love about Christ is he never looks at you and me and he never says, that's a fire too big to handle. He never looks at us and he never says, well... Too bad for them, their fire is now affecting their neighbor. So I'm just going to leave it alone. He just never does that. He's always willing, even in the heat of the moment, no pun intended, but even in the heat of the moment, he's willing to get into the middle of our place, wherever we are, in order to work on us because he wants to bring us somewhere. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about, I'm going to wrap this up with built to last, and it'll make sense. This is leading up to that. But he, he doesn't mind getting into the middle of where we are and, and putting out some fires and, and, and doing what is necessary, stomping on this thing, throwing some dirt around, sweating a little bit, even getting dizzy if it was possible for him to do so. But to get in there, to make to prepare us and to equip us and to enable us and to fix us, fix those broken places that are in you and me. And sometimes that's a natural thing. Sometimes it's a spiritual thing. Sometimes it's both, but it's always necessary. It's always necessary what he needs to do and what he wants to do in you and me. So let's talk about getting in the trenches this morning. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. Matthew chapter 9, verse 11. I'm going to read this out of the English Standard Version. I read this, I think, last week, and I want to cover this again, and I want to do that uh, for clarity today. What kind of people is it that Christ is trying to gather? I've said this and I, uh, before I say it again. I've talked to so many people, family, friends, acquaintances, neighbors, whomever, and they say, well, you know, I would go to church, but I, I, I won't. The reason I won't go is because the roof will fall down on me because Christ, you know, Jesus doesn't want somebody like me in there. Well, the truth is that's exactly who he wants. Who he really wants is, is all of us, and we've all been there. In fact, some of, us, we, some of us even today in the middle of our relationship with him, we're still pretty messy. In fact, I would say that almost all of us are still pretty messy. I'm going to lump myself into the messy part. There are messy parts of me. There are messy, unfixed parts of Steve Parker. And there are messy, unfixed parts of you, unrepaired, but places where he's trying to work on and develop. And I want to speak this to you this morning. So Matthew chapter 9, verse 11 says, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said that Christ was eating with tax collectors and sinners, they said this to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why 
does your teacher, the religious folks said, why is he eating with tax collectors and sinners? That's in the English Standard Version, but in the New Living Translation, which I love, and that's the next graphic there. In the New Living Translation, it says, when the Pharisees saw this, same verse, different words, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? See, the, the nature of religion is to create rules, which every rule that is created takes away from the opportunity to have a pure relationship. Every rule created is the water that dilutes the oil. You hear me today. So the Pharisees said, why does your teacher eat with such scum? See, in today's church, just like then, it would be inexcusable to think that Jesus Christ would eat with such scum. In today's church, just like that church, in the religious systems of today, there's no difference. We want everybody to come to the church, but we want you to get cleaned up before you do, mostly. We'll fix the little things, but get the big things fixed up. If you're an adulterer, or you're a pedophile, or you're a murderer, or you're a whatever you could call it, alcoholic, whatever, if you're all of that, let's try to get that cleaned up as much as possible before you come in here. That's the religious system, because the religious system loves formality. And they love things to be pretty. They love the bows and the hats and the ribbons. And they love the bow ties. And they love the suits. The religious system. When you get in here, we want it to be, we want to have a, a beautiful presentation. We want it to look pretty. We don't want dirt on that wall or dirt on that person. Or we don't want anything messy over here or an unkept stall over there. That's religion. So just like then, when the Pharisees said, why does he eat with such scum? Even in today's church, the same question is asked. Where are you going? Why are you even having a conversation with those people? Why do you let these people into your church? Maybe, maybe even some of you, and I know it to be true because I've received a couple of emails regarding. But when I said a few weeks ago, if you're naked, come. If you're a pedophile, come. If you're a murderer, come. Whatever you are, you're welcome here. Doesn't matter what your background, doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter who, what you said, what you said about me, what you said about anybody in this house, doesn't matter what you've said about God. If you're hungry, come. Because in the middle of all of that messy, that's where Christ's glory is the most demonstrated. Right in the middle of it. But see, again, in today's church, it's unacceptable. But in Christ's church, that is the kingdom. That is the kingdom. The kingdom is saying, come one, come all. Whosoever will. Come one, come all. So let's talk about it for a minute. So he was willing. Christ goes over to Matthew, who's a tax collector. He goes to Peter, uh, James, and John, and they're fishermen. And, he, and I'm using them as examples. But he goes to all of the disciples, and he just calls them out, and he says, follow me. Come and follow me. So the disciples come with him, and they followed him. And, and then he forms an unlikely relationship with each of them. None of them really understand who he is. 
It might be the same for some in here or even those watching online live streaming this morning. You don't really understand who he is, and yet you know you have a need to be close to him. You have a need, you have a hunger to know about Christ. There's something in you that calls out that says he has something that I want, I desire, and I want to be a part of that, and it's going to cost something. And, and this is what Christ did. And he would compel them to come, and he would invite them to come, knowing this, the reason Christ, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say right now. I wrote this down because I want to say it exactly like this. Jesus Christ got in the trenches with the disciples to teach them, listen to me, to stop thinking like fishermen and tax collectors and start thinking like kingdom builders. You need to listen to me again. The reason Jesus Christ was willing to get into the dirty places, into the messy places, into the stinky places, into the unlikely places with the disciples, with you and me, the reason he is willing to get in those places with us, here's a perfect God getting into a, an imperfect human, human person, to bring change, and he does that, and he continues, he begins to work on us to get us to stop thinking like fishermen, stop thinking like tax collectors, stop thinking like scum, stop thinking like woe is me, stop thinking like he couldn't possibly want to have a relationship with me, stop thinking like there's no way I could be a part of that. He's getting in the trenches because he wants us to stop thinking like that and begin to think like kingdom builders. Begin to consider, I have a part of this. There's something in me that is capable of changing the entire earth. And I'm going to begin with Sanford, Florida. Or better than that, I'm going to begin with my neighborhood. Or better than that, I'm going to begin with my job. Or my family. And Jesus says, I'm, I want to get in the trenches. He wants to get in the trenches with you and me to change us. Not to point out all the things that we do wrong. He doesn't get in there, although he does that. He does that. He doesn't get in the trenches, though, to say, oh, look at that. Oh, I didn't even know you were doing that. Oh, you thought that. Oh, you go there. That's not what he's doing. He gets in there, and then he recognizes, and he sees, oh, you go there. Oh, you said that. Oh, you did that. Let's fix that. Let's fix that. He didn't focus on tearing us down so that we couldn't be built up. He focuses on building us up, and while he's building us up, those other things get torn down. It's a natural progression of a kingdom walk. It's when he begins to do one thing that develops out of a positive place and creates a tearing down of those things that aren't like him. And it always gets real dirty before it gets real clean. When I first came to the Lord, when I first came to Christ, there was so much in me that was not clean. I wasn't a bad person. I was a good person, but I was a dirty person. Dirty in the sense of there was nothing in me that at that time hungered for righteousness. I really didn't care about people much. I'd been hurt just like so many of you have. I think we all have. We all have similar stories with different names. And you go through all that. I wasn't a terrible person, but I was a dirty person. I was messy. Life was, it just wasn't as clean as it could be. 
and he got in there and he began to work and it got real, real dirty before it got clean. And Christ got right in the middle of it and he began to show me, these relationships aren't going to work, Steve. These relationships aren't going to work. This isn't going to work. Those places you've been going, that's not going to work, Steve. You can't honor me there and you can't do this. Instead, go here, do this, be a part of this. And he began to do a work in me that began to change me and, and begin to create in me a hunger and a desire to know him in a way that without him, I would have never been able to walk in the, the peace and the joy and the relationships that I have today. Can we even imagine, is it possible to even imagine how many times he grew frustrated with the disciples? I want to draw a parallel today. When we get into the trenches with people, we have to understand frustration is going to come. How many, have ever, how many ever feel like you've gotten, and when I talk about getting in the trenches, I mean getting into those dirty places in their lives and you're trying to be a help for them. You're trying to get them out of those. How many know what I'm talking about? You've been there? How many have been there? And it gets frustrating. In fact, sometimes you get in there and you just, and it just frustrates you so much you just wash your hands of it. It's like, you're on your own. Shake dust off your feet. And you move on. And you do whatever. Well, <laughs> it gets real dirty before it gets real clean. How many times do you think Christ has been frustrated with you and me? How many times has he ever tried to do a work on you? Holy Spirit tried to do a work on you, convicted you, and you ignored the conviction. So you went to bed without being convicted that day. So you said to Holy Spirit, ah, you don't have anything to tell me. You hearing me this morning? And Christ says, I'm going to get down into this nitty gritty. I'm going to get down into the dirty. He said, Daddy, you know what? I'm going to be obedient to your word, and I'm going to go down to the earth, and I'm going to position myself so that man can be redeemed. But in order for them to be redeemed, I'm going to have to fix a whole lot of nasty. I'm going to have to work on a whole lot of mess. And there's some messy folks. Even the people, and, and I think sometimes the messiest ones are the ones that think they're not messy. The hardest people to fix are the ones that don't believe they're broken. <laughs> so can we even imagine how many times he might have been frustrated with you or me? And yet, and yet, he never stopped walking. Why am I telling you this today? Because I'm going to draw a parallel. Turn to Mark chapter 9, please. Book of Mark chapter 9. And I want to tell you why he does this. And I said this, I think, I said it somewhere. I don't know where I said this, but I said it somewhere. But acceptance is not approval. So keep in mind, when we receive Christ, he accepts us exactly where we are, but he doesn't approve of where we are. That's a lesson we could all learn from that. I can accept people, but I don't have to approve of their lifestyle, whatever their choices are. But I need to accept them. Because the minute we reject... The moment we reject, we've cut off possibility for the tax collector and the, the scum. We've cut off possibility for the, that scum to find redemption like you and I found it. So in Mark chapter 9, I want to read this. I want to talk a little bit about this frustration that just you knew he had to deal with it. It says, when they came, verse 14, when they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them, and the teachers of the law were arguing with the disciples. Everybody say, the teachers of the law, the of the law. 
the religious folks, they were arguing with the disciples. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about, Christ asked. A man in the crowd answered, Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that has robbed him of speech. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I ask your disciples to drive out the spirit, and they could not. You unbelieving generation, Jesus replied. How long will I have to remain in the trenches with you? How long shall I stay with you? How long should I put up with you? <laughs> That's frustration. You unbelieving generation. You're my disciples. Can you not get this right? <laughs> you've thought that about your children, though you've never said it. Can you not get this right? Oh, yeah, you know it. Stop. You even thought it about your spouse. Stop. Stop. Don't even respond. I thought Cody was coming to strike hands with me. I said, Cody, bad idea. Bad idea. <laughs> Teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed with a spirit that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, becomes rigid. This kid's in trouble. And I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. And Jesus responded, you unbelieving generation. How long shall I bear with you? How long shall I remain with you? How long shall I stay with you? Depends on your version. How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, the man answered. It has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. Oh, sounds familiar. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, said Jesus, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. We're going to come back to that in a minute. You're going to like what I'm about to tell you. If you can, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. I'm going to point out something to you today that I have never heard another man preach, but I'm going to point it out to you today. I mean, they haven't. I just never heard it. If you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of this man, this young man, and never come back again. And the spirit shrieked, ah! convulsed him violently, and he came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, now you've done it, you just killed him. 
And Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and then he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciple asked him privately, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus replied, this kind can come out only by prayer. What's the trench lesson here? Jesus said, here's the thing I'm going to tell you. I've never heard this preached. Jesus said, this kind can come out only by prayer. Go back to the first verse, 14. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around the disciples with the teachers of the law, and they were arguing. Are you getting it? While they were spending their time arguing, you cannot have faith in the middle of an argument. It wasn't that the disciples didn't believe that Christ, they could do, they could cast out, or that they had the faith and they had the authority that Christ had given them. But when we spend our time arguing, and it becomes such a distraction that we lose sight of, see, the most important thing at the moment to those disciples was arguing with those teachers, not casting out devils. He says in 19, you unbelieving generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Are you still arguing? Do you not see this boy in front of you? You can't see past the argument. You can't see past the differences. Are you hearing me this morning? You can't see past your frustration. You let them argue you into unbelief. You let them argue you out of the moment. You're more worried about being right in your argument than being right for the young boy. You unbelieving generation, how long will I put up? That's frustration. That's frustration. Imagine Christ walking, coming down the mountain, walking up, and he sees his disciples arguing with the teachers, and he's probably thinking to himself, have you not yet learned? Three years at this point I've been walking with you, and you have not yet learned. You feel like you have to argue with the teachers. Why are you arguing? They're still arguing because they're not going to believe. And you're still arguing because you love a fight. But over here, there's a young man that needs a word, not a fight. Over here, there's a young man that needs you to be there for him. He needs your undivided attention. And you're really ticking me off. Can I say that? What do you mean? We want to defend you so bad. The truth never needs defending. You want to shut those up? Here you go. You ready? Disciples, you want to quiet their mouths, the argument in their mouth? Heal the boy. All of the people that are going to come to you and say, oh, you believe that, oh, you believe that, oh, you believe this, oh, you believe something else, oh, you do this, you do that. All the people, you want to quiet their mouth? Do the work of the kingdom. Do what you were created to do. Be the voice you were created to be. Be the sign and the wonder you were made to be. But they, man, they're just, they're just, it would just matter to them to be right. So the disciples' argument with the religious leaders kept them from moving in faith. How many times that happened to you and me? How many times is Christ frustrated with us because we're arguing a point that really doesn't even matter? Yeah. Yep. 
We're arguing over things that means absolutely nothing. And most of the time, the people that we're arguing with are people that are never going to learn because they don't want to know. They want to be right just like you want to be right. But the best right is the kingdom kind of right. It's the kind of right that lays hands on a boy and says, get the devil out of him. And doesn't require three days of prayer. We spend more time, uh, I'm not going there, just requires a word. Do you hear me? That's the trench lesson. So what does it mean? First of all, Christ was mature enough to do this. His faculty, his mental ability, his understanding of what it was to walk with the Father enabled him to be, be the mature one, even in a natural state, that would allow him to get into the middle of the moment and not get caught up in the things that really are irrelevant, but to focus on, Christ's mind was always on, what's the kingdom point in this? I'm going to speak to the kingdom part of this, and I'm going to let the Adam part of this, the natural part of this, take care of itself. He was mature enough to do this, and he was willing. He was willing. He was willing to not get involved in the argument. He was willing to walk right past it while his disciples were in it. He could have defended his disciples, but again, he's getting in the trenches. He's trying to grow them up. He's trying to mature them. He's trying to grow them up, and he's trying to demonstrate, and he says, you know what? I'm, the way I'm going to teach right now is I'm going to walk right past them while they're arguing. I'm going to walk over here to this boy and say, sir, what do you need? Man, my son, he's filled with the devil and he wants to throw himself into the fire and his yada, yada, yada and all this. He says, all right, bring him to me. They bring the son over there. Were the disciples still arguing? Who, arguing? Who knows? And he finally says to the boy, he says, devil, get out of this young man. And the devil gets out of the young man. Then the disciples are saying, how come we couldn't do that? Because you were over there chatting and you were worried about making your point. The point being made today was going to be made through that boy not through some doctrine you were trying to establish and Christ was sent to get in the trenches he was sent for that very purpose to get in the trenches Mike of their life to get in the trenches of mine and your life and then turn with me to Matthew chapter 15 please verse 21 Matthew 15 in the English Standard Version it reads like this 15 Matthew 15 verse 21 and Jesus went away from there, and he withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. You've got to wonder sometimes, do demons show up because they're trying to impact and affect a single person, or are they trying to prevent the gospel from being what it's supposed to be. In other words, did the demon show up in this young man and the other young man, did it show up in them because it just liked living in them or did it show up in them to demonstrate that the kingdom would not prevail? Was it trying to make a point? The disciples will never cast us out and we're going to show up in this one because we know the disciples are coming and we're going to show the world that this stuff they're preaching really isn't real. They don't even believe it. Are you getting what I'm saying? Yes. So Jesus went away from there, withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and said, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away. 
She's a Canaanite woman. She's not one of us. She's not of us. Send her away, for she is crying out after us. She's, a, she's distracting us from the greater things, walking down this road and ministering to all these people. And she's, she's a distraction to us. Send her away. And Jesus answered, Ma'am, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He was kind. Even in a situation that really, in truth, she had no right to even his presence, let alone his words, let alone his healing. Ma'am, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but she came and she knelt before him and she said, Lord, help me. And he answered, but it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He just called this woman a dog. And she said, it's true, Lord. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And then Jesus answered her and he said, I'm getting in the trench with you. Because it is your kind that can be changed by what my kind is bringing. Oh woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly the disciples said send her away she's annoying us she isn't one of us but Jesus is saying have you guys not figured this out yet I got in here with you have you not figured this out yet first of all you're getting in her face and say get out of here you don't look like us you don't sound like us you're messy you're dirty Get out of this place. You're not welcome here. We don't want you here. Clean it up a little bit and then we'll come. Remember, Jesus didn't go to any of the disciples and say, when you get saved, come walk with me. He said, come walk with me and while you're walking, salvation will come. None of the disciples were born again when Jesus called them. Not one. Yet he called them. said, follow me. And he says here, he says, this woman has got her little girl. And she's not Jewish. She's not one of us. Yeah, you're right. But she's willing. She desires. And even in Christ's own heart, there must have been conflict for him to say, man, I wasn't sent to anybody but the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Those are the only ones I was sent to. Yes, sir. I know you can't give your bread to the dogs but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Woman, according to your faith, receive healing today in your family. According to your faith, you receive healing today in your family. Because he was willing to get into the nitty-gritty and not say, you know, even if he might question it, which some, we might do sometimes. People come into our lives and someone, Stephanie, was sharing a story this morning that was powerful. And I won't go into the details of it, but she was sharing a powerful story in our meeting before service and she was talking about a, a relationship and something that happened. And when you think about it, there's times that things will come up and we know something about someone and they come and they're going to come here and they're going to walk in the doors and we're going to look at them and we're going to say, oh, no, oh, no, do we really want them to be here? Yes, yes. Yes, and yes, and yes again and again and again. Yes, we want them to come. 
I can do more with a house full of people coming in as reprobates and heathens and dirty, filthy, lucre people than I can do with a house full of religious folks that are more worried about formality and being clean and quoting Bible scripture every two minutes. And Christ knew it too. Why was it that Christ did not go into the church? Why did Christ prefer to go into the trenches to compel them to come and say, follow me? Christ didn't go into the synagogue and say to 12 people sitting in the church meeting that day, you follow me and you follow me and you follow me because he knew they were more interested in formalities and laws and legalism and reading the right scripture at the right time and sacrificing the right bird or the right pig or the right cow. Not pig, but cow. And they were more worried about that. So what did he do? In order to get the kind of people that could impact the entire world, he did just like David did. David went and got 400 reprobates, lawless men and women, that followed him into battle and became the king of Israel. He couldn't find anybody among all the people of Israel that had any tenacity about them that was, quote unquote, of their right mind. So he got 400 reprobates that would follow him into battle until he became the one that God called him to be. And the same is true of Christ. He didn't go into the church and say, I'll take 12 out of this building right here because you've gotten it all perfect. You're so purty. All your hairs are in the right place if you have them. Your dress is the right length. You're not wearing too much jewelry. You skipped the makeup today. Men are all on the right side. Women are on the left side. Women aren't talking. Men are really loud. I'm going to take 12 out of here. He didn't do that. Because he knew there was nothing he could work with in there because their mind was already made up. Their mind was already made up. So you know what he did? He went into the trenches. And he got out there in those trenches and he said, Matthew, you tax collecting dude. Everybody of our culture, everybody of our nation, they hate you because you're collecting taxes for the Romans. You're supposed to be one of us. You're collecting taxes for the Romans. He didn't get up in his face and say, oh, you pathetic person. How can you even think about living like this? He said, hey, you, follow me. And he got up. He went to Peter, James, and John, fishing in a boat. Hey, y'all, follow me. Where are we going? Don't ask. Just go. Come. And he called them in. He got in the trenches. And then when he brought them into his place, he said, we're going to change the whole world. We're going to change the whole world. I'm going to tell you what Christ was never interested in, changing the church. He was never interested in changing the church because the church had made up his mind just so much like the church of today. The church has made up its mind. It knows what it believes. You're never going to get a Baptist church to be Pentecostal because they made up their mind. You'll never get a Pentecostal church to be Baptist because they've made up their mind. You'll never get a Methodist church to be something else because they've made up their mind. You'll never get a non-denominational church to be something else because they've made up their mind. We are going to be non-denominational. But the people that Christ wants to work with are the people like you and me. I hope it's you and me. He wants to get into the trenches. He wants to find the people that the church, they don't really care for us because we speak a different language. Because we live differently. We have higher expectations. 
It's more important to us that we honor the Father than it is that we get all of our feelings nurtured just perfectly. Is anybody hearing me this morning? And that's what it looks like when you get in the trenches. And then when he got them there, when they begin to follow him, he said, you walk with me and salvation will come in our walk. It's during the journey where salvation comes. Salvation doesn't come in an instant. I tell people, I used to tell, I used to say it all the time. When we'd invite people to come and get saved on Sunday morning, I would say, this is just the beginning. If you think salvation is complete today because you walk down the front of this building, it, you're, you're mistaken. You're going to be very disappointed because you're going to walk out and you're going to make some decisions that's going to make you feel unsaved. And then you're going to give up because you feel like, well, I got saved and now I'm not saved because I did this. Because the church says if you do this, all of a sudden salvation just, just comes and goes. Salvation is like, like a bird in the air. It flies in, it flies out. That's not the kingdom. When we receive Christ and we talk to him every single day in the middle of our mess, uh -huh. yes. salvation still rests yes. because he continues to work on us. Yes. I'm standing in front of you today preaching this message knowing that I am an imperfect man because there's still messes in me that he is still cleaning up. If I waited until I got perfect to stand and to preach this message, I can tell you I wouldn't be preaching it. That's why on any given day when I disappoint you, if you hold that against me, you've missed the point. But on whatever day that I disappoint you, be reminded of this. Be encouraged by this. Wow. Christ is still working on him. A lot. I had thoughts yesterday when that fire was going on, he had to work on me a lot. I'm not a cusser, but I wanted to cuss. I've told people that have been around me before, and they say, well, you know, I'm sorry, I apologize for cussing. And I say, listen, you just said what I was thinking. <laughs> but he's working on us. He's working on us, and he's willing to get in the trenches, are we? Yes. See, the issue with the disciples was he couldn't, he struggled. He was frustrated because he was trying to get them to stop thinking like fishermen and tax collectors and start thinking like kingdom builders. And I'm going to tell you the same issue is true today. He's trying to get us to stop thinking like businessmen, business owners, whatever we are, whatever we think we are, employees, employers, uh, friends. He's trying to and begin to focus our priority. We're kingdom builders. We were put on this earth not to own a business. We were put on this earth not to drive a car, not to be a good neighbor, not to be a whatever. We were put on this earth to glorify God and to bring the earth under the authority of the anointing of Jesus Christ. Do you hear me today? So we get in the trenches. So when they come in and you see people come in, you say, wow, that's a deep trench. Because they're coming. When you look at somebody and you find out somebody's sitting across the room from you, you didn't know, and you know something about their history, nobody else might, but you do. And you think, wow. That's a deep trench. And don't ever do this. Don't ever say, oh, wow, that trench is really deep. I'm going to let Steve Parker handle that one. Kaylee Hoffman brought a great word this morning in our meeting before we came out. We, always, we have church before we come out. We have whatever you call it before we came out here. Every week. 
she said this morning, she, was talk, she addressed our responsibility, our personal responsibility outside of the walls of this building. But when they come in the walls of this building, the same is true. And you can never say, boy, that's a rough one. I'm, I'm just going to let Steve Parker handle it. I'm going to let one of the pastors, I'm going to let somebody else handle that. No, that's not, it's not, no, 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 no. You are kingdom builders. And we get in the trenches because it's in the trenches where the kind of people God can work with are. It's in those places, in those dark places, in those nooks and crannies and in the places that are lost. And and we don't have to accept what they're doing. We don't have to approve it, but we need to accept the people. Receive them. I don't go into the trench and say, oh, this is really cool. I approve of that. I'm going to hang out here too. No, we go in there and we say, I don't approve of this, but I'm going to accept you and we're going to grow out of this thing. Do you hear me? It's tough. You know, it's tough for church folks. I've got I to wrap this up. But it's tough for church folks. Because church folks, we do. We like everything sweet and clean and tidy. We like everything nice and neat. Or if we don't like everything nice and neat, we like it when the leadership of the church gets everything nice and neat so that we can just come in and enjoy the moment. Thanks for the AC. Thanks for the cushy chairs. Thanks for the whatever. You do all the singing, you do all the preaching, you do all the teaching, you do all the changing, you do all the whatever. Every single person who ever comes in and expects other people to do all the other stuff are the same people that expect someone else to get cleaned up and they never expect it of themselves. It's always true. But when we come into this thing and we recognize that the trenches are trenches, that means we get into those places that we wouldn't normally find ourselves. But we get into those places. And we're willing to help people find their way out, just the same way Christ did. And we say to them, you know what, I'm here for you. You don't live there. You don't dwell in the trenches. But you let those people know I'm here for you. And whatever it is you're going through, whatever it is you're thinking, whatever's processing in your mind, whatever you can't figure out, I just want you to know I'm here for you. Yeah, but I'm I'm that kind of guy. I'm like this. And, you know, this is going on in my life. And and really, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're here for you. And when you want to talk, we'll talk. Do you hear me today? Requires something huge of you and me in the same way it required of Christ. Can you do that? Let's get in the trenches. And sometimes getting in the trenches is with people sitting right beside you or behind you or in front of you. You don't know how deep the trench is somebody's in right around you right now. You have no idea. But this is what we're called to because we have got to start thinking like kingdom builders. Bigger than what we are right now. Amen. Stand with me if you would, please. Father, I lift my voice over the...